2 Kings 8. Now Elisha had spoken to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay for a while wherever you can, for Yahweh has called for a famine. It will also come on the land for seven years. The woman arose and did according to the man of God's word. She went with her household and lived in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. Then she went out to beg the king for her house and for her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Please tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. As he was telling the king how he had restored to life him who was dead, behold the woman, whose son he had restored to life, begged the king for her house and for her land. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed to her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field since the day she left the land until now. Elisha came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. He was told, The man of God has come here. The king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand, and go and meet the man of God, and inquire of Yahweh by him, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him, and took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, forty camels burden, and came and stood before him and said, your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? Elisha said to him, Go tell him, you will surely recover. However, Yahweh has shown me that he will surely die. He settled his gaze steadfastly on him until he was ashamed, and then the man of God wept. Hazael said, Why do you weep, my lord? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do, to the children of Israel. You will set their strongholds on fire, and you will kill their young men with the sword, and will dash their little ones in pieces, and rip up their pregnant women. Hazael said, But what is your servant? Who is but a dog that he could do such a thing? Elisha answered, Yahweh has shown me that you will be king over Syria. And then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? He answered, He told me that you would surely recover. On the next day he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it on his face so that he died. And then Hazael reigned in his place. In the fifth year of Joram the son of Ahab king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being king of Judah then, Jehoram the son of Jehoshaphat king of Judah began to reign. He was thirty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did Ahab's house, for he married Ahab's daughter. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. However, Yahweh would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him a lamp for his children always. In, the days of e in his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. Then Joram passed over to Zair and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night and struck the Edomites who surrounded him, and the captains of the chariots and the people fled to their tents. So Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. The rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in David's city, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Ataliah, the daughter of Omri, the king of Israel. He walked in the way of Ahab's house, and did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, as did Ahab's house, for he was the son-in-law of Ahab's house. He went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel from the wounds which the Syrians had given him at Ramah, when he had fought against Hazael, the king of Syria. Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. So the story, this chapter starts with um, the Shunammite woman. So there was a, the lady of Shunem. She was sent away by Elisha because he predicted a seven-year famine and she went down to the land of the Philistines. After the famine, she comes back. Now, in the previous chapter, we talked about the great siege and the great famine that was on the land. That's the one that just got mentioned now. So sometimes it feels like these things are out of order, but it's only just mentioned that Elisha said that because it's telling about how she came back. So it's gone back to like you know seven plus years earlier to say, oh, Elisha told her, go away, there's gonna be seven years. So it's now at the point where it's all over and she's come back from the land of the Philistines and she walks in, coincidentally, right as Gehazi is telling the story about how you know Elisha raised this boy from the dead and oh look, here he is. <laughs> So she gets her land back. So the miracle is that he performed has a double blessing. Now there's a little problem right here in that story. It's the mention of Gehazi. So you'll remember way back in 1 Kings, I think 21 or 22, somewhere around about there, Gehazi was struck with leprosy. <laughs> not, it's not funny, but Naaman had leprosy Gehazi was greedy for the, the gifts of Naaman, went after him, and then Elisha said, because of this, your family will never fail to have someone with leprosy. Uh, something to that effect. So Gehazi was struck, and it says he, he was leprous. So now, what's happening here? Why is Gehazi in with the king if he's leprous? So there's a few different suggestions. Number one, he was healed of leprosy. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's the case. Um, it doesn't seem like the case. Um, it's possible, I guess. My feeling about the matter is that the stories, um, sometimes the stories are not in chronological order, and that was one of the main suggestions that was put forward by commentators. They just said the stories, you know, they're not in order. The story of Naaman came after the story of this. It's just that the story of Naaman was said before the story of this. That's quite a possibility. Another possibility is, is that Gehazi didn't get leprosy instantly. You get the impression that in that exact split second, suddenly his body was covered with leprosy. Um, and that you get that impression because the Bible tells, tells a whole story of a whole series of things that happened. It tells it all in like one chapter or in one moment. And a perfect example of this, and there's lots of examples, but the, probably the, maybe the best example of this is Job and his daughters. So we haven't got to Job yet. But in Job chapter one, he has all these terrible things that happen and he has 10 children and they all die in a terrible calamity. 
and um, he has camels that get taken away and sheep that get taken away and all of these terrible things that happen. And at the end of the book of Job, chapter 40, it says the Lord blessed Job with twice as much as what he had and the Lord gave him 10 more children. Now you can see how we always think, when you read that, you think, oh, the Lord blessed him with twice as much as what he had. So like, almost like, poof, ta-da! There's a whole pile of camels that just appeared. No, it was the process of reaccumulating the camels. Like if you're, for example, in business, you're a successful businessman and you, you lose it all. Something goes wrong, a business deal, your entire business goes bust, but you're a savvy businessman. You can start another business, build it back up, and it, eventually it can get to where it was or even better. So the Lord is with Job and he blesses him and he, he comes back to where he was, but twice as much. And we know that it's not instant because it says the Lord gave him 10 more children. Well, how long does it take to have 10 children? You know, it takes at least 10 years if you have them one after another, but you usually don't. You usually have them spread apart. If it's the same lady, it's gonna take at least 20 to 30 years to have 10 more children, which is fine because at that period of time in the world's history, people were living seven, 800, 900 years. So 10 more children, sure, you can do that. And if it was multiple women, it's still going to take five or 10 years to have that amount of kids, we assume. And so you've got these stories in the Bible where it just says what happened, but it doesn't tell you how long it took for those things to happen or the timing of it. So when it says that leprosy would come upon Gehazi, did it happen like right then? Or did it happen later? At some point he caught leprosy later. Um, you know, for example, we've, we've prayed for people for healing. Some people have been healed like right then in the moment of the prayer and other people have recovered and it's taken a month. And... Um, Later on, you know, some people have had terrible diseases like, um, you know, cancers that have just slowly gone away and been cured. And But when we re report the story, we say the Lord healed them, which he did, but it's not always an instant healing. And sometimes there's a process and sometimes it doesn't happen that minute, it happens later. So um, the, the other possibility, you know, apart from the fact that the stories are told out of order or apart from the possibility that he was healed, the other possibility is that it just hadn't kicked in yet. <laughs> I don't know which one it is, but I always trust the Bible. If the Bible said Gehazi was there, he was there. He was telling the story. So after this, um, it says that Elisha went to Damascus. Um, now, Damascus is the capital of Syria. Now, before this, um, uh, Elisha was, um, you know, at least in the stories before this, in the previous chapter, Elisha was persona non grata in Damascus. So we've read the story about how they were trying to get Elisha. And so I don't know um, whether the stories are in chronological order or not. I just think that for Elisha to go to Damascus, either whatever point the story was told was probably a brave move. And I don't think he wanted to, uh, you know, <laughs> I think you had to be careful in doing so. So he goes to Damascus for a reason. And if you go way back to 1 Kings chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah was given by the Lord three jobs to do. He was told to anoint Jehu, king of Israel. He was told to anoint Hazael, the king of Syria, or Aram. And he was told to anoint Elisha to be his servant and follow him. And Elijah only did one of the three jobs. He anointed Elisha to be his servant and follow him. So here's Elisha now doing the second of the three jobs. Elisha is now the one going to Damascus and he's anointing 
Hazael, the king of Aram, Syria. It doesn't actually say in this chapter, and then Elisha anointed him. It just, it just tells us that Elisha said to him, you will be the king of Aram. And presumably he did anoint him. It's just not recorded here. So the second of the three jobs has been done and the third of the three jobs will be done soon. And we're going to see something very interesting happens because Elijah was the one given the three jobs. He only does one of the three jobs. Elisha now does the second of the three jobs and someone else does the third of the three jobs. So three different people do one of the jobs each. And we'll get to talking about that when we get to the third of those tasks. Hazael was the commander of the army. He becomes the king. According to Montgomery and Gimon, they wrote a book about all the kings of the Levant. They said that he was the son of a nobody. So he wasn't anyone significant, but he became the king of Aram. And it's, it's archaeologically verified, as are so many things. And after this, Jehoram becomes the fifth king of Judah. So there's a... Um, Jehoram, or Joram is the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat dies. Jehoshaphat was trying to make friends with the northern countries. So you've got these two countries, the north and the south. They've been at odds with each other. Jehoshaphat the south becomes friends with the north, with Ahab. And now Jehoshaphat dies and his son Joram, or Jehoram is in there, and they're still friends with the north. And what does he do? He marries the daughter of Ahab. Now, this means that the two families, the north kingdom and the south kingdom, are related. So we've got an interesting thing starting to go on here where Ahab, uh, he becomes the father of Joram, who becomes the father of Ahaziah, and down, 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 down it goes, meaning that Ahab is one of Jesus's direct relatives. <laughs> you wouldn't have picked that one, would you? Now, apparently, that means Jezebel, Ahab's wife, in theory, is one of Jesus's relatives too. And I read online that, that um, Jehoram or Joram's wife Atalia or Ataliah, she was the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Now, you read it in lots of places, but I went looking to see if that was actually correct because kings often had many, many sons and daughters, which meant they had more than one wife. We don't know of any of the other wives of Ahab except for Jezebel, but it says later on that, Jezebel, that Ahab had 70 sons and we know he had at least one daughter, this one that's mentioned here, Ataliah or Atalia. So I'm presuming that Atalia may not necessarily have been the daughter of Jezebel. Everywhere you read just assumes that she's the daughter of Jezebel, but I just the Bible doesn't say it and we can't be 100% sure. And that means we cannot say that Jezebel is one of Jesus' ancestors, which is good because <laughs> that's just a difficult one. Right there. But Jesus definitely has some people in his ancestry line like Ahab and Absalom and even King Manasseh, who, who wasn't born by this point. Just terrible people in his ancestry line, which just goes to show how the Lord uses you know, humanity, which is good and bad. Everyone's bad. All humans are bad. And the Lord uses the bad and he brings great good out of it. So Atalia or Ataliah comes from the northern kingdom, the daughter of Ahab, and she marries Jehoram or Joram and becomes the, the queen or, you know, the wife of the king and in the southern nation and both families are related. And what this means is that the southern nation now starts to put into place Canaanite worship. 
Now, you'll remember that the Northern Nation originally set up the two golden calves. That was not Canaanite worship. That was syncretistic Yahweh worship, where they thought they were worshipping the God that brought them out of Egypt, but they were doing it in their own kind of mixed up, confused way. God was really displeased with that, but it was syncretism. But then when Ahab came along, and specifically with Jezebel, they introduced deliberately Canaanite worship into the northern nation. This was child sacrifice. All that, that was all the evil things that the Lord had been so displeased with. That was the reason why when the Lord brought Joshua into the land, he said, destroy the Amorites completely. Well, now the daughter of Ahab is in the southern kingdom, and her and her husband are promoting, guess what? Canaanite worship, the exact same thing, the worship of Baal, and the Lord is very displeased. Heavenly Father, we're so disappointed to see the spread of evil. And Lord, we notice it happens in the world all around us too. It's so easy for people to turn their back on you. It's so easy for people to go after things. Lord, even we have done it. Forgive us our sins, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.